Hey guys, we're back with season two of the JSIA podcast series. My name is Medha Gupta, and this episode is a discussion with Dr. Pankaj Jha. Dr. Jha is a professor at JSIA and heads the Center for Security Studies. Thank you for agreeing to this discussion, Professor. Thank you, Medha. Nice to be here and talking on this important topic. Professor, um. Cyber warfare has become really popular. It's being thrown about in the media quite uh, a lot recently, but most people understand it merely as technology undermining the defense of another country in the context of maybe hacking or planting uh, malware in critical infrastructure. Like um, there was some discussion about the possibility of Russians compromising American power grids. But or even recently, uh, in the case of the security of India's nuclear reactors, but is that all there is to cyber warfare? You know, if you if you talk about cyber warfare, it is basically waging a war in virtual domain. As the term itself needs proper definition and understanding among the general public, so awareness in this domain is critical. To understand warfare, you need to understand. what are the specific targets for launching attacks or what exactly is the warfare in this domain per se as such but before that i would like to highlight that when you launch a warfare then you need to have a secure uh, you know uh, targets the targets which needs to be secured so that this warfare can be you know avoided or can be really taken care of so in that context i would like to highlight what exactly is cyber security when you talk about cyber security particularly in the national security domain it comprises of four major areas which includes application security primarily those applications which have a large database and is used for various purposes such as banking citizenship roles or management of the personal and sensitive positions the other important aspect is information security which means the information which is passed through the virtual domain such as emails or related transmitting devices which are secure and encrypted the third aspect which is disaster recovery so that there are effective measures in place to protect and also make fast recovery in case of any attack the last element is network security and therefore many industries and sensitive installations have secure firewalls to prevent any breach or sabotage of the network itself now when you look into the cyber targets Uh, while personal computers might comprise the outer layer the computer networks managing the information systems or the service providers for businesses financial institutions are important and they comprise the uh, the middle layer however the most important is the critical infrastructure which includes vital assets of a nations which are controlled under certain regulations and clear cut guidelines this critical infrastructure might be in the form of a control panel of a dam large repository of banking data financial transaction in the share market or command and control of the navigation system of a uh, missile regiment or a missile whose guidance chip is somehow network uh, connected as such now when you talk about cyber right. cyber warfare uh, it is complicated as it can be timed deferred or use of activated bots to help in search for information on a particular subject it can also be in the form of trojan attacks or even controlling the computer of the targeted person or institution most of the country use bots or latent uh, trojans to sneak into the activity of a particular institution and thereby collect information related to the subject matter which interests them and india is not uh, the country which has been never seen a cyber attacks we have seen that 
at one point of time many of our embassies were uh, attacked by one particular country and uh, uh, to know what exactly is happening with regard to our foreign policy or our initiatives let's say in africa oh. or europe and and this all those things which have been done in this regard and this kind of attack uh, when we talk about trojans and bots will not qualify as a cyber warfare but will meet the requirements of the attacking party because it's a low cost initiative where they get information when you look into this that many countries across the world have developed comprehensive cyber defense systems as well as cyber warfare units the attack on sony systems by north korea and similar attacks undertaken by china in the past signify that the cyber warfare would be the next area where wars will be fought now coming to this domain of cyber warfare how will we say that this is a cyber warfare or this qualifies as a cyber warfare this includes recognizing cyberspace as the fifth domain of warfare the warfare might include very specific virus attacks such as stuxnets which was used by israel against the uh, iranian you know nuclear facility or ddos which means distributed denial of service uh, in which multiple connected online devices use botnets to attack a website with fake traffic other aspect is advanced persistent threat under which an intruder mines data repository to get relevant information and the biggest problem which is coming now to the fore and is in international discourse is to define the effect of weapons right to self defense in terms of proportionality the cyber military market and ontological ambiguity in defining attacks and damage uh that's uh, uh th that's how you 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 need to really look into from a cyber warfare perspective thank you so it's become more per, uh so it's kind of become more pervasive in that um it's become more than conventional warfare uh, shifting towards asymmetrical warfare through technology has become a rising trend you could say mm -hmm. uh because um go ahead please like if you look at the military confrontation in galwan that comes forward or we talk about how there's militarization of the south china sea as tensions escalate even now the us said they would be deploying missiles um so this there is a conventional arms race happening right but at the same time as you pointed out we can't uh, forget that the cyber domain is the fifth uh, domain for warfare so in that sense do you see this um arena and cyber uh, cyber techniques being the new means for um, actively for attacking countries you know or populations for that matter yeah, you know when you talk about asymmetric warfare the in this cyber domain the critical aspect which needs to be addressed in the case of cyber warfare is that it is a very low cost uh, it it requires minimal personal deployment and it's a very effective way to cripple the command and control system of a country if it is highly network based the cyber warfare has also been seen as increasingly a threat because of the command and control systems integrated in the form of a network let's say i have a comprehensive network which integrates missiles my fighter planes my ground radar system into one right. network and and it it is it is highly uh, important to to define my warfare to, you know Uh, techniques and all those things then uh, in that case this cyber warfare permeates into that uh, defense systems and 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 it, if it in case it controls the navigation system then my missile might not be functioning the way i wanted it to be or if let's say the same missile is integrated with a global positioning system and a guidance chip 
which might be integrated with my low orbit satellites and somebody infringes into it or penetrates into that whole system, right. then my whole defense uh, thing will be completely compromised. I might not be able to achieve, achieve that yes. uh, target itself. Countries across the world have taken this threat very seriously and have developed encrypted communication systems with different platforms so that the data and the communication is secure as well as using vulnerabilities of the enemy to breach into their communications and networks. Therefore, uh, many countries, very high technology uh, intensive countries, have developed their specific intranet systems for military communications. So when you look into US and right. Japan, we have entered into uh, this uh, MOU, which is uh, encrypted uh, military communications so that we can interact one another on an encrypted platform, which should not be breachable or which is not vulnerable as such. And also we uh, collect data. Let's say I, I'm collecting data with regard to my military personnel and which is kept in a one secure military vault, which tells everything about that person concerned, including his photographs, his, his fingerprints, everything. Now in that case, I need to secure right. that data because otherwise uh, the details will be breached, will be uh, available to anybody uh, uh, who wants to really launch an attack or something like that, you know? Uh, so, so that that gets very uh, very important. Now, also you look into this uh, thing that many countries do acknowledge that they have committed an act of warfare in cyber domain, and therefore this field, when you talk about mm. cyber warfare, it's a two-way system. When the attacking side opens the right for a uh, targeted country to repulse the attack and launch counterattacks, so nobody can say that I never did it. So once you do it you open that Pandora's box where the country which is affected can launch the counterattack against you. Now, when you look into it, there are multiple nations which have created their cyber armies to launch the attacks when it is required. Data breach and hacking, when you talked about it, are a medium to explore these vulnerabilities of the network and its applications. Uh, cyber attacks also okay. might be seen in giving better advantage to the country concerned, such as cyber reconnaissance. You know, I might be really trying to look into certain valid communications, you know, formations or deployment of the armies, let's say, uh, near closer to the Galwan Valley, mm. and which can be exploited and the potential for attacks against my government interest per se as such. Also, st state actors have been using cyber espionage to steal critical information, like once it was stated that the, the Scorpion submarine details have been really stolen because there was some network breach or somebody really provided that kind of information. Now, in this domain, very important is from the foreign policy or from the security point of view is, I give you a, a, an example that let's assume that uh, there is a Taiwan vote in UN uh, of its inclusion as a member. Then there might be a breach or an right. attack in a certain particular, let's say our UN mission in, uh, in, in uh, US that the country concerned might be willing to know that what would be the India's response in case voting for inclusion of Taiwan in UN comes for, for a comprehensive vote yeah. access. The another example which I can really tell in the context of Galwan Valley could be internal communication between Prime Minister's Office and National Security Advisor's official communication email related to the uh, you know disengagement of the troops and, and, and the troops which have been deployed in the Galwan Valley. Now these type of information has a very high, very high value. And therefore, this is being seen as getting more information because the better informed you are, the better decision making you can do in this context. Now, what has happened in, in the past that why this whole issue of cyber warfare, asymmetric warfare came into being? 
that the one major uh, issue which came to the fore was the massive cyber attacks against Estonia in 2007. This was a, you know, an eye opener for the whole global community that that this kind of a cyber attack has been launched against a country. Following this, there was a Tallinn manual which was created to address this issue of armed hey. armed conflict in cyber domain. Now there is a second Tallinn uh, manual 2.0 which talks about different aspects of cyber operations which includes in and out of the armed conflict and these kind of things have already been addressed uh, in in this uh, in, in this larger uh, uh, discourse with regard to this cyber warfare and all those things nato already has this cooperative cyber defense center of excellence which was established in 2011 so if you look into it many of these uh, alliances systems or even regional organizations have been created uh, uh, have created their own you know uh, secure uh, protocols or safeguards with regard to any uh, cyber warfare or cooperation among the countries which are the members to a particular organization as such as so so this this is a work in progress and i believe this asymmetric warfare is likely to take more of the uh, time of those strategic uh, uh, people as well as defense planners in coming decades thank you cool makes sense um so if india so if we uh, think about the fact that india is attempting to rise and make a place for itself in the upcoming world order we are also focusing quite a bit on our technological abilities in this front consider the fact that we've banned so many chinese apps mm -hmm. that we constantly um, we've been constantly attempting to upgrade our technological general technological knowledge and uh, capabilities um, amongst the civilian population i cannot speak for military operations that being the case um, and as you pointed out because uh, cyber operations are a low cost option um, what do you mm -hmm. how would you assess india's preparedness and capabilities in this field because um, even now we were talking uh, there's the hackathons going on and this the current administration is endorsing a lot of hackathons is pushing for indigenous app development indigenous uh, video conferencing platforms which is all well and good but the fact remains that in cyber operations are significantly more sophisticated so how would you assess um, india's preparedness not just in terms of current cyber operations but also in terms of building that sort of talent and um, enhancing our capacity no this cyber domain is where every country need to be uh, promoting its indigenous technology and and this requires a long gestation period and this requires right. more you know financial support technological support as well as systemic support which is required to really nurture that kind of talent when you look into this that india has been rather slow in these developing these capacities and capabilities uh, in cyber right. defense as well as offensive capabilities because if you look into it our cyber command came very late even other countries have really instituted their cyber commands to look into this cyber exactly. warfare so we have been slightly late into it but now what has happened in the last 2 and 3 years that there are departments Uh, which have been uh, dealing with cyber and information security like there is one division which looks into cyber and information security in ministry of home affairs then very recently in 2019 itself we created the defense cyber agency which is dca which is a tri service command of the indian armed forces and which reports to the chief of defense star staff the 
General Bipin Rawat. Then there is a cyber division in National Security Council Secretariat. And there is another National Cyber Security Initiative, which looks into how this comprehensive ecosystem can be created. Also, apart from that, right. you know, India has created and uh, promulgated notification related to the information technology, which includes, you know, one part of it is critical information infrastructure protection center and, right. and manner of performing duties and uh, uh, functions under these rules and which was initiated in 2014. Now, whether there is a need for a cyber security act to launch offensive action in case of a cyber attack, we are slightly bit complacent on this because we don't know that we should be conducting this kind of a thing because at times it becomes a, a moral overload that whether we should be seen as an aggressor in the cyber domain or not. But it's a real politic word and in cyber warfare, if you even you don't launch, but you should have sufficient institutions or mechanism in place which can protect you from it. Then in the civilian domain, you have this National Cyber Security Coordinator and this Indian Computer Emergency Response Team, which is known as CERT.in. Uh, the thing right. is that uh, this National Cyber Security Strategy Policy, which was to be released in 2020, I'm not aware that whether it has been released or not, but it is seen as a blueprint for building cyber defense and offensive capabilities of, of the nation. Now, this you look into from the institutional point of view, you know, that what exactly are the institutional mechanisms which are in place to addressing this. The second aspect which comes into it is how to build your technological capacities, capabilities, uh, when you look into this uh, more cyber warfare and, uh, and from the national security point of view. The important earlier also, there's application security, you know, information security, which is critical so that you have the complete ecosystem in place. Now, when you talk about network security, the critical element in any network is the router. You know, when you use a router, many people use uh, TP-Link or any very cheap router. But most of these very cheap routers are most vulnerable for cyber attacks. Now, what has happened? The government oh. and, 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 and yeah, yeah, you, you use TP-Link and it's a most vulnerable uh, sort of a uh, router or many others which are very cheap uh, for cyber attacks. Now, what has happened over a period of the last five, 10 years, the government have also awakened up, uh, woken up to this fact that they need to really secure their systems. Now, there is a significant clause in this you know, procurement of certain computers or all those things that we don't go by the low cost uh, mechanism, which means L1. We go for the best technical provisions or the best technical uh, configuration so that our computers are completely secure. So this oh, so so this you know the end point which means the computer and the network and the router itself is completely secure so most of the time now we we have shifted from this cheap chinese you know uh, software or apps uh, and and we have gone to very certified systems from microsoft or cisco or any other system which is relatively you know much more secure and we have that so called uh, agreement between the government and those things. So, so uh, over a period of last five years, we have seen complete change in, in, in the systems and the software that we are using. Now, the other aspect which comes to the fore is how can we develop our own systems, technological routers, cables, distribution mm -hmm. networks, and how can we uh, really build up that whole you know uh, uh, industry out of it? So, uh, I, I would like to draw your attention to the fact that uh, Hyderabad and uh, Bangalore also emerged uh, because of that uh, private sector indulgence in the matter. In this regard, if the public-private partnership can be created and, and, and the government private sector would have to nurture the talent so that 
we can create some uh, top class uh, uh, software as well as integrated with a verifiable hardware so that we can have a very secure uh, systems as well as encryption devices which can make our data much more secure and our security much more robust. That makes sense. Professor, you made a very interesting point. You said that uh, we are shifting away from dependence on cheap Chinese technology. And it occurred to me that perhaps we might be substituting or phasing out dependence on Chinese software or Chinese hardware, definitely, like our phones and our you know, laptops in um, government institutions. But that might not be the case for you know, um, associated institutions and autonomous bodies. Say, for example, we have collaborators, we have consultants who might have their own personal Chinese devices mm -hmm. or might be given Chinese devices because they're consultants. Mm -hmm. So do you think that also plays a role in compromising our um, security? Like, what's the threat perception considering how much Chinese technology has been integrated into India? The fact that we did, um, you know, have a late start and this realization, this awakening that we need to focus on our cyber defense has come in significantly later considering our geopolitical ambitions? Uh, there are two elements to it. First, the individuals, again, I talked about, you know, a comprehensive uh, understanding of what exactly is protecting your uh, cyber domain and your own personal space within the cyber space itself. Uh, right. Like if I created a system which is Cisco enabled and which is completely certified and the person who is using that Chinese mobile and breaches into it technically, you know, uh, uh, unwillingly because he knows the passcode for that particular Wi-Fi or the system and tries to access that uh, Internet through uh, his Chinese enabled mobile. So technically he's he's breaching into it in a, in a way which is not suggested, which is uh, the person should really take, right. take care of it. But then the thing is that we will have to take that as a default mode. Okay, people will be using these Chinese mobiles. Then we have to create uh -huh. that system where where anybody we can really recognize that this is a Chinese mobile because there are certain uh, you know numbers which which we can really acknowledge that this is a Chinese mobile or is from made in China itself. Then we automatically deny that particular mobile that access to that web itself so that the person understand that if I'm using Chinese mobile, I won't get an access to the official Wi-Fi or that kind of a thing. So then automatically I you see. are denying denying the service to it. So that is the first act that one can do. The second act is that which more, many of the government institutions have done, that they have banned this uh, very uh, smartphones from the offices space itself. So many officials now carry a simple okay. phone for communicated, uh, communicating one against uh, another and uh, have their smartphone in their office lockers kept in a secure way. So when they return back from the office, they pick up that smartphone and go away. So that way we are creating that kind of an understanding among the people who are in a, uh, in a certain network or a critical installations. And, and they somehow are accepting that, look, they cannot really carry that Chinese mobile phone or any mobile phone, which is a very... Uh, a wrong uh, software certification or particulars per se as such. Um, do you think the same sort of uh, gradual decoupling can happen uh, with respect to Chinese apps? So I understand we've banned TikTok, but TikTok is just kind of like the tip of the iceberg and they're coming out with so many clones. So there's this uh, 
kind of like an undercurrent of addiction to these chinese applications especially social media say share it for example so um do you think we can also extend not just through banning but maybe through uh, active rigorous self discipline somehow we can move away from chinese applications and in doing so what would you consider the role of um, good quality uh, te- indian indigenous platforms and applications uh that's a nice question basically if you look into it the app market is crowded overcrowded yeah so w- when you develop an app you look into the market and you look into what exactly is the customer demand uh if let's say tiktok has gone away from the scenario but we have a very viable alternate which is as good as tiktok and is made by indian uh, entrepreneurs itself or digital startups itself then it will fill the void which has been created because of withdrawal of tiktok from the people's mobiles or per se anything of that sort itself now when right. when you look into an app and as soon the problem which happens in most of the apps is they don't update you know if you have the captive market okay. you don't update so you don't update for 2 years by the time some improvised app comes into the being then automatically people will shift so once you update you make it sense. make it much more security security compliant you have certain safeguard mechanisms which protect the data of the customers and consumers as such then i think many of the apps which have been provided by the chinese might be easily replaced by uh, uh, apps which have been developed within india but the problem is there uh, there, there is multiple fold why because in order to capture the market many a times people bring about a different cloned app from a country which might not be really acceptable in our domain like in the case of uh, one of the apps which was supposed to replace chinese app the the original source was pakistan now if pakistan gives us that kind oh. of app then it technically means that we are we are avoiding that uh, one enemy and we are sitting in the lap of another enemy in this virtual domain yeah. so that kind of a you know scrutiny need to be uh, happening at different levels also if you look into it in the last 2 years china has been asking many of our software developers to come to china and develop the apps which are higher uh, configuration higher uh, of higher security value for themselves so technically they are overseeing that fact that even if there is certain you know uh, ban which is coming into chinese then we will have a via media through which these indian apps can also have their footprints in these uh, things itself mm. so so technically they are using our talent to build up their own capital which is cyber capital uh, and this we will have to really make certain arrangements and create certain uh, economic incentives or an ecosystem which can make that our software developers at least should be working for us or mm. from uh, for those countries which are friendly to us so like uh in our conversation so far what i've taken away is that we need to focus a lot more on prioritizing indian technological security mm-hmm. um over necessarily you know free fair all this uh, information exchange yeah. which then raises questions about data sovereignty mm-hmm. because um i remember reading that ravi shankar prasad in a recent conference said that data sovereignty should be the way forward because countries should be able to have control over the data of their citizens mm-hmm. over the data that themselves are generating mm-hmm. and that that's the only need to ensure um 
the uh, respect for sovereignty and integrity of each nation state mm -hmm. what is your take on state sovereignty especially um, and i i'm going on a little tangent here because mm -hmm. there's all these conversations about no. net neutrality yeah, yeah. and freedom of access yeah yeah you know when you look about data sovereignty you know which is a critical issue coming uh, uh, very often in the public domain given the fact that the EU, eu has also made a provision which with regard to use general data protection regulation in allowing uh, these many digital companies to conduct business under certain conditions so so this uh, uh, this uh, data sovereignty is going to be a major issue in coming days because uh, data can only be generated when you have sizable population using this particular app or a particular you know portal or something like that so so because this data sovereignty is in a way directly related to digital power uh, because if you have the data of let's say you know uh, 1 billion or 2 billion uh, subscribers as such it's a big power you know which is in hand you can always use this data for different business initiative or something like that now india has taken a call on this that look data sovereignty is critical because we want data localization which means a citizen's data will remain within the sovereign borders of the country itself and it will be only be shared when when there is a, a, a pressing need uh, for the country to share it with this uh, overseas uh, agency or a thing like that so this technically means right. none of our data is easily accessible because uh, be it the case of us europe and any other countries they will really protect their data like uh, anything so i think data sovereignty mm. from indian point of view is critical why because we have started this initiative which is known as startup india digital india and and in order to right. really protect these initiatives we need to have a strong data sovereignty uh, guidelines and and regulation in place like if this whole data is can be used commercially or for other purposes then this whole data is easily sellable in global market and 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 if you look into right. it this data sovereignty has been a major difference issue of difference between U india and us as well as many western countries e india eu trade agreement when we were really deliberating on it the one major issue was data security because eu thought that our data security guidelines are not as in compliance with them as it is so so when when countries say that your data security guidelines are not very secure then we have every right to really protect our data and because many countries are doing the same itself now what has happened over a period of time when we are looking and trans uh, you know uh, there is a transition from um, uh, offline banking to online banking then you have citizen data which is available in different domain different apps and also yeah. e-commerce websites such as alibaba are coming on board and many other agencies are trying to do e-commerce and all those things so therefore i believe that this data protection is the right of the citizen so that he knows that the data that he shares with the government or any other institution is protected and is not shared without his knowledge and and this i think is the right uh, of of a citizen uh, per se uh, in this current uh, uh, world and and it is also seen that that let's assume uh, i i give you an example that if this whole digital data is available online and and it uh, a country knows what exactly is the demographics in a particular region or a population density in a specific area it also helps in taking plans and devising distribution networks of electricity let's say ration or other aspects of social development right. such as roads and irrigation networks now if this whole data can be breached or somebody can really access this 
data because this whole server is outside and we don't have a control over it. This, any person who has the data can very well nurture insurgency or militant activities or any kind of activities which might create a regional unrest or a localized unrest because they know that these kind of a people who are using Facebook are raising these kind of a, a, of an issues and this person is completely located in that place. He will look into the electoral roles, look into where exactly that person is located and then he can really tabulate the data and say, look, these people are really aggrieved because they don't have a safe and, and clean drink, drinking water. Now, uh, I, I, anybody can really utilize it for its own personal gains. And it might be. I think an, you make a very critical point. Yeah, please. Yeah, you make a very critical point, especially since India is a democracy. So we have a lot of uh, information transparency in comparison to, say, China, which is an immediate national security threat. So we put out a lot of information. So if it, our data is so easily available in, say, the dark web, or not even the dark web, but just generally, if you know the right sources and the places to look, mm -hmm. then as you make, as you point out, we, we get really, really vulnerable to external influence operations, I think. Mm -hmm. So to that end, maybe the data protection law that comes out with enough revision and deliberation might fill the gaps that are that exist in our um, security system. So Professor, last question then. Mm -hmm. um, what would your recommendations be going into the future for a comprehensive cybersecurity policy? If you had to list out the key elements that our um, potential policy should have, what would we as observers and analysts and potential analysts look for? No, if you look into this initiatives that we are taking in, in digital domain, in the legal domain, and also protecting this information, which might be easily available if our legal regulations are not in place, then we are somehow breaching the citizen's trust first. Second, we are right. not making life easy for uh, developing our capacities and capabilities in this fifth domain, which is cyber domain. And thirdly, I, I believe you need to really develop the ecosystems which, which are critically addressing this cyber warfare. Yes, we have been a major player in software development uh, and, and, and programming and data analytics, all those things. But if you address it from purely from defense point of view or warfare point of view, we will have to develop this kind of an understanding that cyber warfare is not that it is just a warfare which which doesn't have any uh, people uh, getting affected or getting killed. You know, that kinetic mode of warfare needs to be really set aside because this is warfare is uh, one which, which is more software intensive and, and, and will have a larger impact, uh, let's say in banking institution, in e-commerce and all those things. So first and foremost, I would like to say that the whole India will have to work with regard to creating a complete network which is encrypted which is firewall, because I, I was surprised to see many of those industries which are working, let's say in heavy industry, uh, heavy uh, in electricals, in uh, heavy earth movers, these are many of them are in government uh, domain also. They don't have that digital mm -hmm. firewalls to protect the data that they are doing. And, and this, is, this is really surprising. And, and, and I believe that like in the past itself, uh, you, you might be really knowing that when this whole environmental lobby became very strong, it was compulsory for many okay. of the industries to keep a environment officer in their premises to look into that there is a unique balance between uh, environment and and the industry development which is going on i believe 
there is also yeah. a need for a digital officer or a digital cyber security expert in every industry who look into this th thing that there is a regular cyber audit of the systems which are done in each industry. Not only that, it's a government industry. Yeah. We do it not in the, uh, in the other private industry because if you look into also into the defense domain, there are private sector players which are coming in. And they said that we want to have a long-term contacts with the government. If somebody comes to know that these are the three contracts that this private sector player has got, and these can be really delivered over a period of time, and these are the things that they don't have the capacities, but looking for technical support or joint venture, then that particular country can institute a new uh, industry and say you can have a joint venture with this particular country, which might not be lying in China, but some other place. So that kind of a giveaway with regard to information need to be protected at the first place itself. The second thing is that sensors are sensitizing the public. If you can do some kind of awareness with regard to public that what exactly you need to do in the cyber domain, be if either you are in office or in the home, so that your lives are protected and the data which is there in your computer system might not be of very much relevance to you, but it, your computer might also act as a bot, which might really permeate into different systems when the time comes, you activated bots. So you need to look into that comprehensive understanding of what exactly is the cyber domain and how a person can really work at and contribute to this whole ecosystem which is being brought about. The third aspect is that the government will have to support both financial, technical, to really nurture this sort of a uh, of a growing industry which is there, which is really working, and there are uh, there are excellent people. You know, they they could not get the financial technical support from the government, and they started the complete. Uh, system network or industry in Europe. And I have a number of IATMs and many other technically uh, sophisticated people who said, said that we cannot really work with the government. It's because it's highly bureaucratic intensive. You know, you need to understand that the bureaucratic oversight should not curb the technological innovation uh, innovation and, and capabilities that we have. Because the, the person who is, who is an IATM might get a more better lucrative job in any industry rather than working for the government. So that kind of a, of a, of a structural support is required at all levels. And lastly, and I, I would like to say that cyber is one where about defense, it's not about, about civilian itself. Because I, I give you an example, let's say that the banking system of India has been hacked and people come to know that their lifelong yeah. savings is done away with and there will be huge unrest uh, across India, then that kind of unrest right. is a major national security issue, despite the fact that the whole hacking is being done in banking, which comes under civilian domain. But it has a huge repercussions for the security safety of the citizens uh, across the country, because everybody will be paranoid. So Something that kind like of a understanding, riot. pardon? Yeah. Something like the WannaCry attack. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, all kinds of ransom attack, ransomware, which was there. So, so you you need to work uh, in sync with the uh, with the private sector, uh, provide certain tax holidays uh, or, or even you know stimulus funds for these uh, innovative uh, industries to work why uh, work work and come out with uh, wonderful solutions. Right. Thank you so much, Professor. I think you've given us a lot of comprehensive insight, not just on the uh, more policy-related issues, but the technical and the legal aspects involved. Because I think um, this is an upcoming area. It's less explored. And there are 
so many technicalities involved that it becomes a little difficult to untangle all these threads that pull together to have um, implications for national security um i'm hoping that people who listen to this <coughs> podcast and hear you can you know get further insight get inspired and maybe ultimately move into this area and uh, set up as analysts and provide their own insights and maybe we can uh, this can be our small endeavor to contribute to india's national security efforts in this domain so i thank you very sure, much sure, for joining sure, us professor and thank uh, you, to our thanks. listeners thanks Thank you. Thank, Thank you. Thank you so much, Professor. Thank you. And Bye-bye. to our listeners, we'll be back again with another sure, episode. Sure, sure, so sure. Stay in touch. Sure, sure. Thank, Thank you. you.